the Radical Secular Podcast, a demand for justice, equality, and rational public policy. Subscribe at YouTube, Apple Podcasts and all the major podcast channels. Visit our website at theradicalsecular.com for articles, insights, and our complete library of episodes. Support us on Patreon and follow us on social media. Hello, and welcome back to the Radical Secular Podcast. I'm Sean Prophet. I'm Christoph Defoe. And I'm Joe Cupinti. Today, we're going to discuss a topic I've been wanting to delve into on this podcast for a long, long time, and that is incinerating the endless proliferation of absolutely rabid and filthy lies the fossil energy industry has been promoting about electric vehicles as a sort of companion propaganda to its multi-decade climate change denial campaign. You've heard these lies and half-truths and fear, uncertainty, and doubt endlessly repeated, and it's quite possible that you and many of our listeners might believe them, or some of them, or parts of them. And there are billions of good reasons for that in terms of the amount of money and effort the fossil industry has spent poisoning the well against all forms of clean, renewable energy technology. Now, some of you have probably read Harvard University professor Naomi Oreskes' excellent 2010 book, Merchants of Doubt. If you haven't, you really should, because that's the entire story that we're telling. Uh, and I'm not, so I'm not going to really delve into the book, but um, that's something for definitely further exploration. Uh, what we are going to do today, though, is to do a deep dive into the electric vehicle transition. And boy, is there a lot to talk about. Uh, the questions we're going to be asking are, are EVs a brilliant and essential climate solution, or are they just another capitalist consumerist plot to lure us into yet another generation of expensive and unsustainable techno fixes that will leave us worse off than we are now? And how do electric vehicles relate to larger questions of social justice? Stay tuned and find out. But first, I want to remind you that if you like our show, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, check out our Patreon, and tell your friends to listen. New episodes post Mondays at noon Eastern on YouTube and all the major podcast channels, except Spotify. <laughs> we also publish new articles regularly in our journal at theradicalsecular.com. The Radical Secular Podcast is brought to you by Cannibal & Co., located in downtown Jersey City and at shopcannibal.com. Cannibal, that's Cannibal with a K, stocks a rotating collection of goods ranging from apparel and accessories to home furnishings and fine jewelry. Cannibal weaves together its forward-thinking vision with its traditional roots to provide an expertly curated experience of unique and locally sourced finds. We're grateful to Cannibal for sponsoring our show. You may have noticed that we didn't post a show last week, and we also skipped what would have been our normal Monday posting on January 17th. So I want to start with some housekeeping, which is an announcement that for the immediate future, the Radical Secular will be going to an every two weeks podcasting schedule. All of us are facing changes and changing circumstances in our lives. In no way does this mean any kind of reduced commitment to the issues of justice that we all care deeply about. It's just a recognition that we want to continue to produce quality content and can't realistically commit at this time to doing that every single week. So let's kick right off and do our T-shirts. Christoph, what do you have today? Sure. Um, given the topic and given my um, my love, um, I'm wearing a... Um, uh, <laughs> A gearbox, essentially, of the, of, of the six-speed manual with, by the way, with the reverse up into the left, which is the <laughs> German way of doing it. Yep. Right. Um, so, uh, so I am wearing that today for obvious reasons. We're talking about the transition away from gasoline-powered vehicles, right, and why that's important. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, but nevertheless... Uh, perhaps I am uh, one of the voices of the the, the progressives who 
know that this is necessary and are in 100% support it, but definitely love five, six speed manuals and internal combustion engines, right? Like mm -hmm. those two things can, can and do live in the same head. So, um, you know, that's, that's yeah. my, uh, my shirt today. They absolutely awesome. do. And I, I can remember actually recently having a couple of conversations because there are actually Facebook groups talking about people who want to preserve manual transmissions. It's not even mm -hmm. uh, combustion cars. It's like they want manual transition transmissions because yeah. they're kind of <laughs> going away on all cars, you know, definitely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And they're gone. Like, it's hard to find one. The thing Very is, it's like on, on the on the bike, like, I mean, I got a six, six speeds on my bike. So do you. And, uh, sure. you know, um, that there's <laughs> nothing wrong with that. And that actually seems to work just fine for a bike. But for for a car, I really like the one-speed EV. Mm. <laughs> so um, my shirt is Nikola Tesla. Nice. And that's, that is definitely apropos. Yeah, and that is him with his Tesla coil, and he's got a pigeon sitting on his head because he was known later in his life to talk to pigeons. So yes. <laughs> that is a fact that is not made I up. I didn't realize that, actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he kind of went mad a bit <laughs> at the end. So what are you wearing, yeah, Joe? <clears throat> I, I'm wearing something similar to you, just my, you know, because science shirt, well, mm. I, I think that this, uh, this topic is science-based, but it's, uh, it, it, it's even the, the, the way it relates to society and, and our w ability to sustain ourselves on this planet is very much science-based. And I think that we want to certainly add a bit of that to it. But I have to say, Christoph, I am with you 100% on the manual transmissions. <laughs> I miss them so much. They were so much fun. They you feel like fun. you're more connected to the car, you know? Yeah, you feel you really like do. you feel like there's just... And, you know, and part of it is just what you grew up with, of course. But That's you know, a huge when part. I, when we were younger, I used to drive manual, and I used to say, hey, these get, get better gas mileage. And they used to. And right, then right. eventually, <laughs> automatics got so, so efficient that they... They actually outperformed them in gas mileage, but totally. And they, they, it used to be also right that you could shift faster than an automatic could shift, but yeah. that is like comically not the case anymore. No, comically, <laughs> it goes it goes through like five speeds within like few seconds. It goes yeah. through like five gears, like boom, 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 boom. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's remarkable how good they've gotten, and they're far more fuel efficient than driving than driving stick at this point too. So you know, all of those all of those old reasons, right, uh, right. are kind of gone. The only reason that's gone. Is still here is because I like it, and yeah. that is not a good enough reason um, when balanced against the future of humanity. It's just not. Yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> it's and it also not. shows how technology really progresses, and we're going to see that with EVs too. You know, the same mm -hmm. kind of thing. Well, and there's nothing stopping yeah. anyone from building an electric car with a six-speed transmission. I mean, it would be a boutique yeah, item, right? but you know, you could do it. <laughs> right, right. It's a good point. It's a good point. Uh, all right. Well, first off, I want to say a few words about energy in general. And this is something that's the show is originally going to be on a bunch of different topics um, about energy, including, uh, you know, power generation and, 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 you know, nuclear power versus wind and solar and all that. But um, it, it ended up being so much that I just limited today to electric cars. But what I'm saying about energy is is true, and that is that it is a fraught topic. It gets everybody mm. going. I, the only thing I can think of that's more fraught, I think, is probably religion, because <laughs> mm. everybody's got an opinion about energy. And uh, the, the problem is most people don't understand it. And you know, when we talk about the energy system, we're talking about this huge, mind-numbingly complex system of systems that most of us 
frankly, just don't want to think about. We Energy underlies everything we do from getting the food and water we need to heating and cooling and lighting our homes to transportation, to mining, to manufacturing, to watching a video on the internet, to listening to this podcast. Cheap, available energy is what separates modern urban living from primitive subsistence. But yeah, and I think I think honestly, there's always been this sort of like just implicit non-recognition of that. Like um, Americans, in particular, they they had their energy, they had their gasoline, they had their you know their their oil for heating their homes, but never really gave much thought to the absolute critical importance of it and where it came from, and what it cost, not only in terms of money, but in terms of lives, you know, all, mm-hmm. all that's happened around the history of oil yeah. and, and keeping the oil cheap. And, and it, it's just an, a massively just powerful history that most people aren't aware of. And now we're going through the same thing. Energy now is so much related to our survival. So we're even more, we're upping the ante even more because of climate change issues that we need to understand energy as citizens. We need to do that. Mm. It's not like, you know, we used to, we always did but we need it even more now. Well, this is what happens. People think about energy only when they don't have it, like when the power fails on an extremely hot or cold day, or when energy gets too expensive, like when world market Mm. conditions push up the price of oil. And Americans are just famous for whining about gas prices, which, I mean, compared (laughs) to the rest of the world, we are are like, we are like (laughs) well below the global average. I mean, right. yeah, it's dirt cheap. You, you go when you, you, you go to like a, a different country, uh, Europe, and you're like, Jesus Christ, that's how much you, at first you get yeah. the leader shock, yep. which is like, oh shit. But then you're like, oh, it's not all right. All right. But even when you convert it, <laughs> yeah. you're like, whoa, you guys pay a lot for your, no wonder your cars are so damn small. No, it's exactly right. right. I mean, some of these people are paying, you know, 10, 12 bucks a gallon and they've been, mm-hmm. and they've been paying that for like 20, 25 years. I mean, it's not, this didn't just exactly. happen. You know, it's not, you know, right. <laughs> um, but, Okay, so unless of course you lived in Venezuela under Chavez, and it was like twelve cents a gallon. Yeah, there, or something. there are places <laughs> right. where it's heavily subsidized, and you know these are mainly oil-producing yeah. countries that just basically give it away right. to their citizens. And um, right, but, but but that's not the real world, and we're not in the real world no. either. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> so on the consumer side, there's sort of this bemused ignorance of energy markets combined with an almost sort of birthright sense of entitlement, like you said, Joe, to cheap, abundant energy, regardless of any mm-hmm. historical uh, factors or long-term cost. Uh, on the production side too, energy, it's one of the world's biggest and most profitable industries. It includes all fossil fuel mining, drilling, refining, it includes every power plant in the world, every coal mine, every gas station, every solar panel, wind turbine, geothermal well. It's an industry whose annual revenue is measured in the trillions of dollars, at least $5 trillion per year out of a global GDP of roughly $100 trillion. So it's tough to put a precise dollar figure on the energy business because a lot of it is being done by governments. And um, so it's not even right. in the financial markets. Right. Mm-hmm. In, in addition to producing oil and coal and natural gas, governments are often involved in municipal and national utilities. They issue utility bonds to build big projects. And those bonds represent one of the safest investments in existence. And they, they, they provide, a, they're a huge staple of pension funds. And anytime, any, you know, you want to put your money somewhere, park it in utility bonds. So, uh, and this is something that we've all come to rely on. Uh, because energy producers and investors have a reliably captive market. They've locked in these huge profits and these long-term contracts and everyone needs to buy energy and the energy energy industry is really good at producing and selling it. And these huge companies and governments, they don't want anything to get in the way of the gravy train. They don't want any sort of mm-hmm. interruption or uncertainty. Um, 
consumers really don't want change either. They just want reliability. They want to know that they can flip the switch, turn the thermostat up, you know, and the lights and the air conditioning are going to work every time. They want gas for their cars and trucks to be cheap and uh, out of sight, out of mind. And Mm -hmm. so unfortunately, though, this huge lumbering and seemingly unstoppable energy system is still mainly based on fossil fuels, which is a recipe for climate disaster, as we've all talked about ad infinitum or ad nauseum, I should say. <laughs> we, we, ha- <laughs> we have to think about our energy sources in detail, though, if we ever have a prayer of turning down the temperature. And now if you're listening to this and you don't believe that human beings are having any negative impact on the climate, I hope you give us a fair hearing, because even if you don't care about climate remediation, there are plenty of economic and health and quality of life reasons why you should support a swift transition to clean, renewable energy. So let's understand briefly where we need to go to solve our energy and climate problems. Let's break down global emissions. And this is according to a graph from Statista, and this is from 2020. Electric power generation is 37% of global emissions, transportation 20%, construction and buildings 9%, manufacturing 22%, and other is 12%. So transportation being 20% represents kind of a surprising figure, surprisingly low in the sense that we've all heard (laughs) this constant emphasis in terms of climate on controlling emissions from cars and trucks and ships and planes. But the thing we got to realize is even if we completely stopped burning fossil fuels for transportation, we'd still be dealing with 80% of global emissions. And so we're going to save that for future episodes. But today we're going to focus on the 20% of greenhouse gases that come from transportation, mostly from cars and light trucks. So before we get started, I want to give both of you the opportunity to discuss your initial thoughts about the electrification of transportation that's now well underway. Well, first, let's just not forget also, it's not just about climate change. It's about pollution and human health and mm. environmental health. The the amount of damage that's being caused in the, in the biosphere, even if you take away the climate change and greenhouse effect issue, is tremendous. I mean, we have now, by some measures, 11 million people dying of energy-related pollution in the world, air pollution, wow. water pollution, and all that, every year. I mean... Not to minimize the, the pandemic, but how does that compare to the, to, to the pandemic? Right. It's about the same. Maybe right? about higher. That's about higher than the pandemic. Um, well, higher in terms of the official numbers, but in terms of the real numbers, probably yeah. not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, I mean, and, and we completely put the, the fact that this stuff is super toxic out of mm-hmm. our minds. Like we don't even <laughs> go there, but it is. Right. Try drinking a, 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 you know, a thimble full of gasoline and see what happens to you. You know, hang out in your garage while the car is on and see what mm, happens to you. Yeah. This stuff is toxic. We needed it to advance in the modern world. It, it played, an, like you said, Sean, a tremendous role in that. A lot of it positive, you know, as well. But it's time to move on and we can move on. We can move on. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to say before you go a little bit, you know, more on your, on your thing is that. I'm glad you added the part about electric cars being, quote, another capitalist slash consumer plot to lure us, <laughs> because I do want to talk about that. Um, and also the, the fact that accessibility to this, these technologies, like electric vehicles, is certainly an issue of social and economic mm-hmm. justice that we have yeah. to address. And you combine those two things together, and what we also need, it, we, you see, is not only an electrified, but also a free and accessible transportation system somehow that people have access to it. Everyone has access yeah. to it. And mm-hmm. we don't have that. 
Um, and I want to remind people that America did have a reasonably good electrified transportation system in the early to mid part of the 20th century. Yeah. Crazy. Right? And we don't, we don't even remember that history. Um, it is an impediment. It was, I should say, an impediment to corporate America's plans. And thus, it was ruthlessly dismantled at the time. It's a tragic really? story. Cor corporate America would do that? <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry to surprise you, Krista. <laughs> and everybody else who's surprised also that's listening to us, I, if you're interested, I, uh, we've posted a link to a short article to get you started in this really tragic and fantastic, mm -hmm. fantastic history that a lot of people have, uh, don't know about. Uh, so basically, the consortium of General Motors, Standard Oil, Firestone Tire and Rubber, Phillips Petroleum, Mack Truck Manufacturing Company, and so forth, were eventually found guilty of this huge antitrust violation in the 50s. The trial was a sham. They were given mm. a slap on the wrist. I think they were fined a dollar, <laughs> literally. Okay. Wow. Wow. Um, by the, so they, the, the guilt was there. They were found guilty and not punished. By the time the damage had been done, by that time, America's course was set. We were in a course for cheap oil, massive highway systems. The internal combustion engine was number one. America's love affair with the automobile, right? All mm -hmm. that. And it's led us to the verge of global catastrophe. And so now we got to talk about electric cars, man. We got to go back to that electrified system. That's it, and, man. You know, costing trillions of dollars that probably wouldn't have cost. <laughs> seriously, seriously. And, uh, you know, I, I cop to being as addicted to non-renewable fuels as anyone I owned, as we've talked about, two gas-powered vehicles, which, frankly, I love to drive aggressively. And in particular, I love the growl of my internal combustion engine uh, when I throttle it up. It's just mm -hmm. part of it, right? Um, my house runs largely on natural gas. I love to travel and I do travel often by airplane. Uh, but I also really, really, really hate the fossil fuel industry. Um, and I really, really, really love the planet Earth. So, yeah. um, you know, everyone knows that the industry is at the core of the climate crisis. I think that fewer folks connect the fossil fuel industry to the myriad political and social crises we are facing as a civilization. Um, particularly for relevant from my perspective is that first, the worst of uh, fossil fuel externalities are absorbed often by marginalized communities, whether that community might be on the global level or on the local level, right? And, and second, the legislation that could transform the lives of marginalized folks is stalled in Congress and is always stalled in Congress, thanks in part to lobbyists from the fossil fuel industry. And fuck Joe Manchin, yeah. by the way, right? So look, climate change aren't my wheelhouse, uh, but the issues that affect marginalized communities really are. Um, not that I'm a professional, but as a guy, that's, you know, I know a little mm -hmm. bit about it. So, um, so I'm very much here for the green revolution, like 100% in for, uh, given, regardless of what kind of car I drive, today i um that is something that we have to address as a civilization yeah. yeah great point great points and let's not forget too that you know the large share of the of the carbon that's in the atmosphere now was placed there by the elites of the world mm -hmm. you know the, the privileged populations of the world the europeans north americans that's right and, and so there is that whole thing and 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 we're absolutely refusing to acknowledge that 
in, in the climate talks. That's, that's right. That's another and this issue. This is the point is up until very recently, the richer you were, the more carbon you created to, to, because money and carbon were directly linked. I mean, and what's happening now totally. is that the carbon intensity of the global economy is beginning to drop. But, you know, prior to say, mm -hmm. I don't know, the year 2000, it was almost a one to one correspondence. If, you know, if you're, if you're doing anything, you're burning carbon, you know, so, um, and there wasn't right. any, any other so. option. But I wanted to go back to, yeah. you know, to, to really launch into this whole topic of, of electric vehicles. And, and I totally hear what you're saying, Christoph, about the, you know, about liking, you know, the growl of the engine and just the general aesthetics of, of, internal combustion engines. And that is why this topic gets really people into their feelings because most people That's agree right. with you in terms of, of really liking, you know, manual transmissions and, and really driving for driving sake and all that kind of stuff, but they don't have your level of maturity and understanding of what has to be done. You know, so they just dig in their That's heels. Right. And um, as a result, they, they think they. Sure. And also, if I could just cut in, like, also, I, I, I know that, as human beings, we're resistant mm -hmm. to change, right? Like, it's kind of how we are. So even as I can feel myself being like, oh, man, I'm going to miss my car. Like, I know that there's a new reality, a new reality that I will love and look back and say, <laughs> look what I used to think. I mean, that's yeah. how we are. And I think that acknowledging that, I think I think that's really, really important. But sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. But it is just popped no, into my head. No, it's a fact. And that. these, these yeah. feelings of resistance to change, you know, have spawned this whole series of lies and distortions about EVs across the board. Because... You know, I, th I think people think that if they tell the lies enough, it's just like with the presidential election or something that they can make this stop. They can make mm. this, this change not happen. <laughs> and I think at this point, I mean, right. it, it's, it's hard to tell if we're really past the tipping point, but it sure seems so. It sure seems that, that, that the momentum is, mm. is, if not, if not unstoppable, it's certainly building. And, and I think most people are on board with that and would agree in principle that if we can replace the internal combustion engine with something better without sacrificing convenience or performance, that we should do it. I mean, electric vehicles are, they're fast. They're high tech computers on wheels. They're smooth. They're quiet with ridiculous acceleration. And some of them drive themselves mm -hmm. and, you know, a lot of that's anathema <laughs> to the gearheads. I know that. But at the same time, it's pretty cool mm. if you're just into the experience, you know, because um, every time there is a new EV announced, tens or even hundreds of thousands of people are putting down their deposits without even seeing the car, without driving the car, without even knowing when they're going to be able to take delivery. And th this sort of <laughs> bears out public opinion. Because in a 2020 Consumer Reports survey, 71% of Americans said that they would consider buying an electric vehicle. And all the major manufacturers are gearing up in a huge way, spending billions of dollars to design new EVs and build new factories. But in spite of the high level of interest by early adopters, a lot of other people are also really, really attached to their gas mobiles, as we were talking about. So there's a lot of mixed feelings mm -hmm. and even anger, almost approaching the level of an anti-vaxxer or an anti-masker about people who, who are potentially being forced to give up their gasoline and diesel cars and trucks. So this is the main big lie that we want to talk about today, and that is that the government is going to force you to buy an electric vehicle before you want to. Mm. You know, you're just going to be dragged, <laughs> by, dragged out and forced to buy this. Thing. Right, right. And, you know, yeah. it... <laughs> It's really genius to link it to the government, right? Because it's not right. Because when you do that, people can then generally 
think the government's awful, right? They've been on the right. They've been that they've had that hammered into their head for different for gener- for a generation. And so you link the EV or anything to the government and it's going to be that's going to be doubly hated. You it's know? just like the vaccines. It's kind of like, I mean, right. everybody yes. getting mad at Fauci. It's like, well, don't get mad. Right. Right. I mean, <laughs> Right, they, right. They're just pissed off at electric vehicles in general because they see them as mm-hmm. as the, the sort of meteor coming for the for the fossil fuel industry. And um, and, and in fact, mm-hmm. that's what it that's what they are. But <laughs> that is what it is. Right. <laughs> but um, th- there's also what we what what you mentioned, Joe, which is that a lot of liberals will say things like uh, EVs are just a scam that won't really help the climate just make things mm. worse. You're just, you know, continuing this unsustainable thing in a different direction. And, but it doesn't almost matter what the distortion is. They're coming at it from all angles to just make people, you know, turn against them. And so I'm just going to run down the list and we'll go through then and kind of debunk each one of these. The first one is, you know, you're going to run out of juice. You're going to be stranded along the side of the road with a dead battery. And that's otherwise known as range anxiety. Uh, some people say when you count the carbon emissions of manufacturing, that batteries are more polluting than gasoline, and they're worried that they can't be recycled. That's false. Uh, batteries <laughs> will need to be replaced, and replacing them is unaffordable. Uh, again, fear of a financial, a big financial hit. And we're, there's some truth to that, but we'll talk about that later. Charging your EV is more expensive than filling up with gas. I saw an article about that. There is some price gouging, but overall, that is not true. There are too few charging stations and you won't be able to find one. That's false. (laughs) You'll have to spend hours waiting for your EV to charge. Not true either. Your EV is likely to catch on fire and it's dangerous to park it in your garage. Again, a few isolated incidents. Statistically, that's false. Mm -hmm. People who buy EVs are just virtue signaling and it's actually not morally praiseworthy at all. Why would someone write an article like that? Like, what do you do? You know? (laughs) But they Unreal. did. They did. Unreal. Yeah. <laughs> They're desperate. <laughs> um, EVs are too expensive and unaffordable for the average person. They are just toys for the rich. It's been said about pretty much every technological innovation in the last 50 years, including mm. cell phones and, you know, computers. Computers, right? <laughs> yeah. All of uh, sure. Worries about not being able to charge your EV at home if you live in an apartment. We'll address that. EVs wouldn't sell without high government subsidies. Well, again, it's an early adopter thing, right? These are, these are expensive in the beginning. They get cheaper later. EVs are compliance cars, and they are doomed to fail because nobody wants them. Well, 71% of Americans do. <laughs> so we're going to talk about all these issues coming up. Um, I think you already addressed this, but I just want to ask you again. You know, you still drive a, a gasoline car and motorcycle, Christoph. Mm-hmm. Have you heard these rumors about electric vehicles, and do you, do you think – how has that affected your decision or, or your desire for an electric vehicle? Sure, sure. Yeah, I I have heard these uh, kinds of brands of anti-EV slander, and uh, I don't buy them for the same reason I don't buy anti-justice slander, right? It's always in bad faith. Um, humans, like I've been saying, um, especially conservative humans, though, are reliably resistant to change to varying degrees, and the, this kind of misinformation is 
practically to be expected, and I try my best to tune it out. Um, personally, I own a 2015 BMW 335i with xDrive and a six-speed manual transmission. It puts down 330 horsepower from an inline six. It fucking rips. It is <laughs> amazingly comfortable, agile, fun car to drive, and uh, it's reasonably fuel efficient as well. And I can say the same thing about a motorcycle. It's a 2020 KTM 790 Adventure, um, and an Unbelievable feat of Austrian engineering, a genuine pleasure to ride. Um, but, but because I am a progressive, I really am. I, I take the climate change issue very, very seriously, deadly seriously. And I'm looking forward to a green revolution. Mm -hmm. I've, I've driven a Model 3. The experience is unreal, futuristic, right? Um, no doubt our next vehicle will be a Tesla or maybe one of those electric pickup trucks that are coming out so that I can haul my motorcycle around. Yes. Um, you know what I mean? <laughs> and until then, I don't feel terrible about my love of the internal combustion engine, right? And I don't feel terrible that I like picking my own gears between one and six. Lindsay and I live in a city. We take public transportation everywhere. Neither of us have driven to work uh, in over 10 years. I haven't driven to work in probably 15 years. Um, we barely drive anywhere, in fact. To put things in perspective, our 2015 BMW has only 35,000 miles on it. Amazing. So <laughs> when the internal combustion engines and the six-speed manuals go away, I'll be here for it. You know, progress is great. Progress is beyond necessary. And frankly, it's ultimately to conservative chagrin inevitable. We might go backwards for a while, but we move forward. Humanity as a civilization, assuming we don't literally destroy the planet, which is why this is so important, will move forward. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I, I'm reminded of the F-14 Tomcat, which was my, one of my favorite airplanes uh, growing up. It was a carrier carrier based aircraft um, and it had the variable. It's from Top Gun, the plane from Top Gun. And when they phased that thing out, right, uh, and it was replaced by the by the Hornet, I remember like a similar feeling of like, oh, the classic, the, you know, it, it wasn't even fly by wire, right? It had cables in that motherfucker, right? It was like, yeah. but so there's something <laughs> that's lost when you move forward, but, but certainly uh, like some classic vibe feel. Yes, that is lost and that does suck. But being an adult is realizing that progress, realizing the validity of progress, the necessity of progress and being prepared to let go and, and realize that there's going to be something better on the other end, especially in this scenario. So. Yeah. Awesome. Great. Great. Well said. Yeah. Uh, well, Joe, you had a different experience, right? You just took the plunge and bought a Nissan Leaf. Uh, and that mm. was like, that's like literally within the last like two months, right? Can you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We talked about it on yeah, the chat yeah, what, a few months what, ago. What gave you the comfort level well, to make that kind of commitment? Yeah, well, before I th talk about that, I just want to say I have this image in my head of Christoph with Tom Paris on, on Voyager messing around with the little dials and gizmos. Ah, <laughs> uh, right, 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 right. Oh, man, that's great. Back to the blast of the past. You know how you, they build the, the Delta that's Flyer right. and Skeleton? That's right, that's right. He loved that stuff. <laughs> can, I forgot about that. He was all about that stuff, wasn't he? But you know, there is something to that. That is cool. That's really cool, that, bla that sort of connection to the past, that feeling of, like, the mechanical part mm -hmm. of technology you know <laughs> people it's, it's really cool stuff you know and it's like i don't i have some of that too like i like i said i love standard you know transmissions yeah but i have to say my leaf okay my leaf it's an excellent vehicle it, it, it's a it's literally a low budget ev right it's one of the cheaper mm -hmm. ones it doesn't feel like it to me mm. it feels like an awesome car it feels really good it's comfortable it's it's quiet it, everything works well it's well designed i mean 
We love the car. I mean, awesome. it, it drives great. Uh, it did take some getting used to, mostly having to plan for the longer trips to recharge. Um, that's a function of the lack of infrastructure in investment so far. I kind of do think that uh, the more charging stations, that once they come to some kind of par with gasoline stations, it's going to make a huge positive increase to this. Definitely. Um, in some places, there's plenty, like in California, places like that. You have lots already, but there are lots of areas in the country where I think they're still pretty scarce. And so uh, I think uh, where I live, for example, if you go out to Eastern Mass, lots over there. Here where I am in, the, in sort of the rural area, not as much. I have to go probably, um, you know, quite a ways to get a fast charger. Although my wife's, you know, work has a, you know, a 220 line. Nice. She can use a charger during the day, which works awesome. Um, so I know we'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit, so I'm not going to get into it too much. But it's a nice car and it saves us money, mm. you know. So, like, hockey, one cool thing is that in my wife's place, we recharge it uh, with uh, wind energy because this college she works at has wind farms. That's so has, cool. And nice. It, and, and here at home, we have solar panels. So, we partially nice. recharge it from that, too. So, it's like, so that feels You're nice. You're living in the like future, Joe. You're living in the future. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. And th this is the calculation, right? When you when you um, have an electric vehicle, how clean it is is totally dependent on where you plug it in. So we'll talk mm. a little bit more about that later. And I I, I want to say that I have had pretty good experience with sort of the halfway point, which is the plug-in hybrid electric vehicle, which is what I drive right now, which is the Chevy Volt. And the Chevy Volt is kind of the best of both worlds because you have a four-cylinder range-extending engine that, you know, can go like 300 miles between charges. And then you also have a, a, a battery that can drive the car by itself without the engine running for 50 miles. And so right. for, for city driving and stuff like that, I mean, you could go for months without ever having the gas engine come on. And awesome. if, but if you're going to take a road trip, then you're good to go. Like no, no mm -hmm. looking for charging stations. Right. So some people think that's the best of both worlds. I don't, I am, I just cannot wait to get to full EV because in this situation, you know, you're still like when that gas engine comes on after you're used to driving on the battery, it's like, Oh no, the gas engine came on, you know, and, <laughs> <I'll bet. Yeah. laughs> because it's not, and it's not like, th this is not a car that you can drive. It's, it's a completely fully automatic transmission. As a matter of fact, it's one speed. Right. They, mm -hmm. With, with, with electric motors, it can go all the way from a, st from a standstill to maximum speed without ever changing gears. And so, and that's what happens yep. in the Volt, even when the gas engine is running, because what, what the gas engine is doing is it's producing electricity to drive the electric motor, never really directly oh, drives the wheels. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So it kind of modulates like it. So when you step on the gas, it doesn't, the engine doesn't necessarily rev up. It kind of can maybe lags a little bit, right? It's so there's a disconnect between what that engine is doing and what the, and what the car is doing. And the other thing about it is, is that you can drive with one pedal because you can set the regen to the point where you take your foot off the gas and the car automatically slows down. It's not braking. Interesting. It's just kind of, it's it just kind of slows down and allows sure. you to modulate in traffic without having to put your foot on the brake at all. So nice. a couple of good things nice. about, about it. And, and I've had two of them. This is, I bought uh, my first Volt in 2012 and, and then I bought another one in 2016 and I'm looking forward to getting a fully electric vehicle. Uh, I have a deposit on a Cybertruck. 
Nice. Not happy with Elon Musk right now. No, he's a shitty guy. <laughs> so I, you know, I, I'm not going to not buy an EV just because of, because he's a piece of shit, but, um, right, right. <laughs> I, I, I want to wait until the F-150 Lightning is out and see how that is because that vehicle has some advantages that the Tesla doesn't have. So mm. it's an exciting time to be able to think about, you know, having op multiple options, right? Ah, super exciting. Yeah. Super, super yeah. exciting. You know, and I, I, again, driving the Model 3 was the only time I drove, driven an EV. And, uh, you know, that's not even the premium version, right? That's not like the super, super car of, but it is unbelievably fast mm -hmm. the way it speeds up. Like, I mean, <laughs> the, the feeling it's, it's, it's deeply, um, uh, sort of exhilarating. Mm -hmm. To go, it's like it feels like you're on a roller coaster. So, you know, I talk about performance and my love of the internal combustion engine in terms of how it feels, but right, it'll be replaced by a performance feel that you get from an electric vehicle, right? And I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to that, right? I'm looking forward to that experience, um, that sort of transformation. So, even the Volt can do um, front wheel. Uh, you know, can break traction and, and, and you can lay, lay awesome. rubber with, uh, you know, with, with the vault right. silently, right? <laughs> yeah. And the silence is just amazing. That is, that is, yeah. it is, and that is, I think, really differentiates it from, in, in a lot of ways, the experience, um, besides all the cool technology, it's just like, oh my God, I don't hear anything. No. <laughs> it's, it's great. It's right. great. It's, it's quite a feeling. It's quite a feeling. It's some, and I'm not sure if this is the actual electrical system or if this is a sound that's added, but there's a, but, but in the Volt, when you floor it, you hear this, it almost sounds like a, like a, like a quiet, like jet engine type of a whine hmm. or something like that. Do you have that in the leaf, Joe? When you floor it, does it make a sound? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's subtle, yeah. but yeah, it's got Absolutely. a it's got a very high tech, you know, sort of a of a of a, of a sound that it makes that is just understated. Cool. But anyway, cool. all right. Well, let's enough um, of that. Let's dive into debunking the lies and misinformation about EVs. The average new car in the U.S. lasts eight years or one hundred fifty thousand miles. So many of you will be facing in the next few years a decision as to whether you're going to double down and buy yet another gas mobile that will lock mm. you into the dirty business of gasoline consumption. And then of course, complaining about gas prices for another eight <laughs> years <laughs> or whether you just take the plunge and set yourself free from the fossil mafia. So why wouldn't you do that? Well, here's people's common objections. The first one is range anxiety. Now, According to the EPA, the average range of new EVs sold in the U.S. in 2021 was 234 miles. Oddly, that's down from the previous year average of 259 miles, and that's probably due to the rising popularity of the Tesla Model 3 standard range, uh, which was mm. a, a little bit cheaper. <clears throat> However, the top EV range available now is the Tesla Model S with a range of 405 miles. And that brings to mind wow. the question of how much range is enough, right? Because that probably comes down to whether or not you take a lot of road trips, because the median gasoline car and truck range in the U.S. is 403 miles, which is exactly what the Tesla is. So, but mm -hmm. for all the other EVs, there is currently a range penalty. So I, I wanted to ask you, Joe, what is your leaf range and how do you feel about your ability to get where you need to go? Well, the leaf, I, I think it's on 236. Mm -hmm. uh, I have the, uh, the, the larger battery. I think the little smaller one is like 180 or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, and you know the thing is uh guys there's always the best lies always have a little bit of truth mm -hmm. to them and there is an issue with range it still is especially if you live in the place where you have to drive a lot like mm -hmm. i do mm -hmm. uh, i mean if you live in the city really at this point there isn't 
honestly. Uh, right. But like, if you are driving a lot and you're driving distances, and also the other issue, of course, is if you live in a cold climate in the winter, that range goes down. Yeah. It goes down quite a bit, actually. I actually surprised me how much it does. Um, we I haven't quite figured it out yet, but probably it goes down about twenty percent for for mm-hmm. us. That's uh, the using heat that draws the battery, mm-hmm. but also mm-hmm. the fact that batteries aren't, aren't quite as efficient when it's cold. So the in combination, but and and that's pretty good for the the leaf's pretty good with that. Uh, Tesla at least about twenty percent. Tesla is, is like around seven or eight percent. It's like the best. They have they have extra systems in there to keep the, the battery warm uh, and all that. Um, so I think you know for city dwellers. I don't really see a downside. If you're going to be uh, buying a full EV and you have a lot of rural driving, highway driving distance, then you have to consider whether or not a plug-in would be better. Uh, if you still want to get a full EV, then you can certainly do it. We mm-hmm. did, and we right. got used to it. And and, and the, the little bit, a bit of range anxiety that we did feel at first is basically going away. Now we've mm. got it figured out. Um, yeah. So I, I think that if you you know if you're going to buy an EV and you're going to use it for long range driving, it's very possible you just have to do some homework and you just have to plan a little better, uh, and then it's fine. And, and this is really early adopter stuff too, because this is where we are just right. at the yes. very very tip of the spear. Battery range on EVs is going to be headed way up in the future, and with all the developments that are going on with even solid state batteries, which is like a whole nother paradigm for for yeah that they mm-hmm. could be double to even five or ten times we don't really even know like there's there's a lot of promise and we don't know how it's going to shake out but i would not be surprised at all to see 500 plus mile range becoming common or even maybe essential within the next five to seven years and because the 22 state of the art 2022 state of the art in electric vehicles is it's kind of like where the pc was in maybe 1985 you know right very early on right Justin, we're in the dawn of this stuff. For sure. Well, and so the next objection is the life cycle emissions of battery electric vehicles, because we hear this a lot. It's like, oh, well, you know, they they mm-hmm. may not have tailpipe emissions, but they, uh, you know, they, they pollute in their manufacturer. What are you going to do with all those batteries? That is a constant thing that you hear people yes. talk about. And it's generally super confusing because it's complicated to calculate. And there are so many variables uh, what we're talking about here is all emissions produced in the manufacture, ownership, driving, including the junking or recycling of the vehicle. Like, uh, we're not talking about cradle to grave here. We're talking about cradle to cradle since many of the components of electric vehicles can be reused. I mean, batteries can, they can be taken out of the car and used as stationary battery backup for a long time. And then even when that's mm. done, they can be broken down to their chemistry and, and made into new batteries. So there is a complete closed cycle here. Uh, hasn't totally been established yet, but I think it, environmentally, uh, they can be made, EVs can be made extremely environmentally friendly. If I just jump in real quick, I, I um, in terms of range anxiety, which is one of the top things that you hear, right? It just seems to me, right, we got used to, I know this is maybe a clumsy analogy, but we got used to getting through the day with our phone not dying, right? Right. So it requires a little bit of 
of planning to make sure that a you you, you make sure your battery is your, your battery is uh, fully charged when you leave the house and um, right and if you know you're going to be out for a long time maybe you bring a backup battery or you are able to you know where you're able to plug it in. My point is that the range anxiety thing seems silly when you think about it in terms of like, in terms of mm-hmm. phones where you're like look I mean all right so you just plan differently that's all and we and we'll get used to that and of course there'll be more and more change charging stations as time goes on so yeah it's it really is something yeah. that can be that can be figured out and mm-hmm. uh something that you know th- the same thing was true with laptops i mean anything that takes mm-hmm. batteries mm-hmm. you just have to you have to plan for it and and you know people did people did and people will exactly right. yeah, well, well, that's the my benefit experience. is okay evs don't produce any tailpipe emissions no unburned hydrocarbons no carbon dioxide no exhaust period you know, and you'll hear people push back and say, well, you're just shifting your emissions to the power plant. And others complain about the manufacturing carbon footprint or the scarcity of lithium or rare earth metals. But um, this is a little overblown because both gasoline and electric vehicles produce substantial emissions when they're manufactured before they're even driven one mile. You've already, I mean, like mm-hmm. it takes, it's, it's ungodly when you think about um, it takes something like 40 barrels of oil to make a car. Before you've even driven one mile, you know, I mean, it's a lot. It's a, uh, of oil equivalent energy. A lot of it's natural gas, of course, for manufacturing, but, uh, batteries themselves are a little more energy intensive than an internal combustion engine vehicle. They, and they, and they mm. actually push the carbon emissions of the new EV above those of a, of a, of a new gasoline vehicle. Um, however, like you, Joe, once you take delivery on the EV, if you're charging on wind and solar, you may never emit any more carbon as long as right. that car exists. So um, in practice, people... That's an important difference. It is. I mean, you could theoretically uh, drive with no more uh, emissions per mile after the car after the car is new, if you charge carefully. But- right. And in fact, I would have to... I needed a car. I had to buy a car. And so if I bought a gas-powered vehicle, you know, and then... On top of that, use fossil fuels. It's a lot worse, Way worse, right? Yeah, and then you're locked into that for another eight years. Mm-hmm. Now you've you've already gotten on the right At side least, of history. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, the other thing is um, uh, the cost of like even if you do get your energy from a coal powered mm-hmm. plant, it's still worthwhile and it to, to get an electric car. It's not as good, obviously, but it's still a better option for the environment. Well, this is the point. If you're charging on the US grid mix, which, you know, is, I don't know, coal is down to like 25% or less of that, you know, so your car is going to be a lot cleaner. If you're in, if you're in coal country, the car is about as dirty as a gasoline car. Um, mm. you know, but that's becoming more and more rare as coal plants keep getting shut down. So the the calculations are tough. They're a mess because there's so many variables. And if you're on a road trip, maybe you plug in at a supercharger that's connected to a coal plant. I don't know. You know, it's like, it's hard to control these things, but what we do know, there's a rule of thumb across the board that an EV is going to emit one quarter, 25 to 50% less carbon over its life cycle than a gasoline car. And I, Personally, think that's a huge improvement because if we that is significant, like significant. If we, 
Yeah, and there's another issue too. I mean, uh, again, always we're talking about climate change, but what about pollution? That's right. If you don't have cars and cities making smog, right? You're adding to asthma and lung disease and 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 all kinds of health issues, and then damaging the environment. Even modern coal power plants now have yeah. scrubbers, and they don't have that same effect at the local level. So, I mean, there is so much more to it than than just you know basic these these raw numbers that you sure. see. If we replaced every car on the road with an EV, we would knock five to 10% off of our total global emissions. And that is substantial. I mean, we got to start somewhere, you know, it's, mm, exactly. it's such a huge job, but, but that five, 10%, that's a big chunk. Definitely. So, okay. What about the problems with lithium mining or the difficulty obtaining rare earth elements, which come mostly from China? I mean, the, the resource issue is definitely something that's worth talking about. We don't want, you know, we don't want to just replace, you know, oil devastation with lithium devastation all over the place. Um, but what a lot of people are missing is that the, com the clean energy resource footprint and geopolitics can't be looked at in a vacuum. We have to do an apples to apples comparison with the brutal and filthy oil business. How many wars have we fought in the Middle East mm -hmm. to ensure the US stable oil supply? How many oil spills and, you know, tanker accidents and pipeline ruptures and oil train explosions do we want to keep putting up with? And this is, it's all trade offs. And, you know, knowing this, do you find the case for electric vehicles convincing Christoph in terms of the environment and Overwhelmingly. I mean, it is for me, there is no real debate to be had here. I mean, I think that anything that any, any sort of, uh, you know, uh, objections folks are putting up, I don't believe that they're really in good faith and either either in bad faith or they're basically they're they're built on these lies that have been um, distributed through uh, into the popular conscience by the by by the uh, oil industry. Right. Um the American way of life will not be compromised or whatever George Bush said. Like that mm -hmm. idea, <laughs> right, is, is, has been, has really infiltrated the American mind. So, um, I think that by the time the EVs come out or when I'm prepared, I'm sorry, when I'm prepared to buy an EV when we're getting our next car, essentially, I think a lot more of these kinks will have been worked out. Um, and more generally, I am, I understand being an early adopter. In general, I'm an early adopter in terms of, in terms of technology. I like the new ideas. I like the progress. So I realize that, that, that part of being the early adopter is dealing with the early adopter problems, right? Um, yeah. and, and working around them. But that's something that I'm prepared to do. So, um, it's so again, the, the, the case has been made very well to me. <laughs> mm hmm. Joe, do you, you know, you, you do a lot of study of this stuff. Is there any contest at all between lithium mining versus, you know, oil production? No, there isn't. I mean, there really isn't. I mean, lithium <laughs> mining does have problems for sure, of course. but not as much as oil does. And certainly in the geopolitical realm, absolutely no comparison whatsoever. And the other thing you'd like, uh, Sean, you mentioned uh, solid state technology and other kinds of technologies, which are going to make batteries not, not just better, but actually greener. And, mm -hmm. and that's important too, because this is an evolution that's happening. It's a technological evolution. Definitely. And to, to, it's such bullshit to just expect this technology to be perfect. It has to go through a learning cycle, it has to go through growth and development. And it's doing that and it's getting better. And, and so I, I, you know, there's no reason to think that at some point we'll find ways of creating very sustainable batteries that are better and, than lithium. And this perspective, yeah. right? I mean, just put things in perspective, right? Like, so already 
at this stage of the electric the EV world, from the, we're in the very beginning of it, as we've talked about, and it's already that much better than gasoline. I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, it's going to only progress. I always say this, right? When left to our own devices, we as a species tend to move forward. It's kind of what we do, right? We may be held back, pulled yeah. back, knocked down, but we usually move forward. And this is going to be the exact same thing here, especially when there's money involved. Of course, yeah. it's going to get better. Of course, they're going to get better. Think about this, the embodied emissions of an EV, it's because the factory is run on fossil fuels, right? right it's because exactly. the mine is run on fossil fuels. <laughs> exactly so right. what happens when the factory and the mine are now right. run on renewable electricity? Suddenly, even the embodied emissions go away. Exactly. And that's the train that we're on. We're on, we're on like just like sort of compounding gains that the more we develop this stuff, the more it gets deployed into the power grid and everything else that we'll talk about in future episodes here, um, the more we have a chance to even get rid of... The, manufacturing emissions mm-hmm. right so well, it, it comes together i mean like for example me being able to charge the, the car mostly on green energy now because there are other 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 projects going on other challenges being solved other things in in the pipeline and it's all becoming into ideally an integrated system right. of improving our world you know and so if you just mm-hmm. focus on one and say well it's not enough well, of course it's not enough. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> why, why would you think it would be? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> well, here's the thing. And a lot of people get this uh, uh, confused on another level, too, because I, I, I was talking about this on social media to one of our former guests, Almir Osmanovich, and he's of the opinion that we ought to be getting rid of cars altogether. And he doesn't mm. really see EVs as a climate solution. A lot of other climate activists feel that way, frankly. They're really upset about car dependence and, the, and our car dependent cities. And, and the way their cities are laid out. And yeah, I guess it would be better if we could just completely rebuild all of our cities and snap our fingers, but that's not happening. <laughs> so, you know, also it's, it's a lot of this is about shifting perception where, you know, when you buy a car and gasoline, what you're really buying is transportation. You don't necessarily mm-hmm. care that much about the vehicle. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just need to get where you're going. You need to get your stuff where it's going. You need to get your family where they're going. And um, a car, however, sits unused for 23 hours a day on average. And when you think about the amount of resources and money, it's people's second biggest expense after their house. And it's just sitting there most of the time. So maybe there's a better way. And maybe this is something that, uh, you know, robo taxis or you know mm. we you know and and, and what, then we used to start to think about what happens if we have robo taxis that just pick people up now you don't need parking anymore mm-hmm. and you can repurpose uh you know parking lots in cities like it's it's it becomes a whole re-engineering of society thing and we also know that the republicans don't want that they love car dependency oh yeah they love uh and, they, and they're really opposed to public transport so much so that the Republican Party has established a firewall against it. And as part of that, when we saw the, the 2010 election and Scott Walker got in, you know, he killed a proposal that was already in process to connect Madison and Milwaukee, uh, with high speed rail. And this just came up recently because the trains that were built for that have been mothballed since then. And they were just recently sold to Lagos state in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. And this is just an, it's just a sad irony that Nigeria is getting trains that were meant for Wisconsin. I mean, Seriously, yeah. you know, like more power to them, happy for them. But why did they sit there for 10 years? Why were they sabotaged? Totally. Totally. Uh, it's, uh, uh, go ahead. Go ahead, uh, Joe. I think, I mean, I get Almir's point. I do. 
I think he's right in an ideal world. I mm-hmm. think that if we could, ha- if we had the power to restructure our, our built environment quickly, mm-hmm. then hell yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But we don't. It's just a vast environment. It's going to take generations for, for us. Even if we had started a really robust project to change the architecture and the infrastructure and the uh, transportation nodes and all that, it would take generations, right? Mm-hmm. And so we have to think about what we can do, where we can apply the principle of public transportation. There are places that we can and where we can, we absolutely should. Right. But where we can't and where electric cars are really the solution and a robo, a a robo taxis, even more so, as you said. I mean, we have to be pragmatic here, but also we shouldn't use the excuse that we don't have that infrastructure not to develop public transit either. So it's got to be because people will do that. I mean, people will leverage that point to then say, we know we don't want to invest a lot of money in public transit. Totally. And we can't allow that because public transit is part of the solution as well. It has to be. Yeah. And in, in my, I, uh, thanks for that, Joe. In my ideal world, I think you, we live in the United States and a planet, frankly, where, right, electromagnetic high speed rail, right? Mm-hmm. Like that dream is, 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 well, it's a dream, but, um, you know, and, and then driving is sort of like a niche hobby. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that that you do because of X, Y and Z or you just love cars or whatever. You build your own car or whatever it is. Right. right. Um, but to all to your guys points, we're not that's not where we are. And we've already walked down this path um, in the United States with um, um, with the with the interstate highway system. We're really far down that path already. So, you know, the, the I think just from a pragmatic standpoint, like you're saying, Joe, I agree with you that the EV seems like the most pragmatic forward thinking solution for now. And again, also, uh, and, I, and I do think, right, Uber and Lyft and all these places, I mean, ideally, they, they would love if they didn't need to pay drivers, right? Like that right. is definitely what is coming, right? Yeah. Um, and in a place where I live, like in Jersey City, that would be absolutely fantastic. I mean, at, that kind of thing would be absolutely, absolutely fantastic. So. so so, I'm a geographer, and I look at uh, public planning and modeling and public space and, and land use. And I don't think people realize just the vast amount of land that's been taken up by low-density residential homes. Mm, oh, my God. And, oh, and, God. And it has wiped away millions of acres of natural forest, farmlands. And so it's not just about the, the energy use. I mean, that's a big part of it, but it's about land use as well. Right. And we need to restructure that because we can't, we, we, this is an incredibly inefficient and ecologically damaging you know, way of organizing society. Yeah. And we just did it and we're continuing <laughs> to do it. Exactly. And it's we got to stop. It's interesting because I I was, re, you know, like back in the early 2000s, I used to read a lot of this uh, literature about, you know, reimagining cities and things like that. And one of the things that we don't realize is how much actual land is taken up by streets. Like they figured mm. if, if you just got rid of streets and had, you know, uh, like and and had large areas of, of of cities that were off limits to cars and that were either walkable or or were served by a, a like a, a you know rail transit or whatever that you'd have enough just the streets alone would be enough extra land that you could grow enough food for everyone living there i mean it's like right. it's insane that's amazing yeah and the, and the third thing is a quality of life issue 
In Barcelona, for example, and other places, they've been experimenting and getting rid of cars from central cities. And people love it. It's a quality of life improvement mm -hmm. for everyone. Totally. You, you can walk. There's more social life. There's more, there's, it's, the air is cleaner. It's Fewer just, people getting hit by cars, because that's a huge problem. Yes, people getting yeah. hit by there, cars is a huge problem in the cities. Cars have dominated our land use space for so long, we, we can, almost can't even conceive of what it would be like to live without them. True. But ultimately, they're going to be here for a long time. I'm not saying they're not going to, but I think we should be visionary, you know, mm. and we should, and we should think about, restructuring the places that we can restructure right yeah and, and begin that begin that journey that's going to take generations we need to do that well and when you think about it the, the figures are staggering it's just like you mentioned earlier about the number of people who die from pollution uh, what did you say mm -hmm. like 11 million a year or something like that globally yeah. globally well globally uh, another million die in uh road accidents right right a million right. people okay so that's hundreds of thousands are maimed that, yeah and that's right so, right right those are just the fatalities right so right. when you think about what the, the possibilities um that could uh, of of change because of robo taxis right they don't even have to be perfectly safe you know, imagine they just have to be safer than human drivers. Imagine if you cut right. that million by 90%, which is totally I mean, doable, right? Right, right. And, and, and you eliminate also like a lot of the insurance industry, right? Because all of Ooh. these deaths and all of these uh, injury payouts are, you know, cost an enormous amount of money, right? And if you, right. if you eliminate those accidents, now that money can go back into the economy to do other things. And I saw this video a couple of years ago just about how drastically because it would also reduce um our need for healthcare overall mm, absolutely yeah. right? interesting right uh, hugely so it's it's just uh, i i could go on talking about this all day and i i think we should move on to the next one because we are sure. this is taking longer than i thought to go through everything <laughs> so let's talk about battery life and maintenance because this is another big uh, big question that people have and it's a recurring complaint that I heard even as far back as 2000, when people first started buying Toyota Priuses, is that their batteries would fail and they would require replacement. But as it turned out, that's a experiment that's already been run. We know the results. Prius batteries <laughs> lasted an average of 180,000 to 200,000 miles. And they're also covered by 150,000 mile or 10 year warranty. And many of the highest mileage applications for Priuses were taxi cabs. And there's reports of, of Prius Taxi cab batteries lasting between three hundred and fifty thousand and five hundred thousand miles. So wow, it's was the exact opposite of what everybody thought. <laughs> uh, they ended up being extremely reliable. So replacement batteries for Priuses cost anywhere from fifteen hundred to twenty five hundred, which doesn't seem that unreasonable for something that you got to do it maybe every ten years. Um, mm -hmm. Certainly not even as expensive as replacing an engine in a, in a regular car, right? Or a transmission. Or transmission, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Okay, those are hybrids. What about full EVs? Well, it's a little bit different with full EVs because their battery is being discharged on a, on, a, you know, constantly fully discharged and that places more wear and tear on it. And a Tesla battery pack can run you $20,000 and that's roughly half the cost of a new vehicle. So that's kind of scary. Uh, even the mm. Nissan Leaf battery pack can set you back 10 to 15,000. So we have to ask ourselves though, why EV batteries lose capacity and what can be done about it. Uh, right now, a lot of the battery packs are, 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 are using technology that was designed like in the early 2010s. And mm -hmm. the older Nissan Leafs in particular lacked a thermal management system. I think the newer ones have it, right, Joe? 
Yes. Yeah, they do. And heat is one of the things that can kill batteries quickly. Like they don't do well in Phoenix. <laughs> um, mm. and, 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 and Nissan actually, to their credit, did, did, they stood by those, uh, uh, buyers who were in Phoenix and they replaced their batteries for them. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my Chevy Volt has a cooling system and it has lost about 20% of its electric range after five years. So there are some losses. As far as Teslas are concerned, they have a 120,000 mile warranty that guarantees at least 70% capacity at the end of it. Otherwise, they will replace the battery at no cost. And how, so how much do these batteries really degrade over time? It's about what they're saying. Uh, one Tesla owner documented a 7% loss of range after 24,000 miles, which kind of loosely lines up with what you could expect under the warranty. So that's a fact of life right now. Going to get better. But what you can do is avoid fast charging when you don't have to, you know, charge at home overnight slowly. If you're not going on a road trip, if you're going on a road trip, go ahead and take the hit, you know, but uh, don't fully empty your battery if you don't have to. And and don't uh, leave it sitting there fully charged for a long time. You know, just uh, if you're going to charge it fully, mm. drive it right away. Those are the things that you can do. And, and pretty much all EV owners sort of know that. Uh, we already talked about the solid state batteries. The, the, the reason that the current lithium ion batteries fail is they, they grow dendrites between the electrodes. The process of charging and discharging, they grow these little microstructures that are like hairs and, and eventually they can short out, uh, between the cathode and the anode and, and cause that cell to fail. And if enough cells fail, then, then your, your battery's done. Mm. So. I mean, just all this stuff, you know, hearing about these, these kind of issues with batteries again, Christoph, you're the, you're the one who is, uh, who is the most <laughs> likely to be hesitant. Would this make you more hesitant? Um, I guess to some extent, but not really. I mean, I think about, right. I have, uh, you have a BMW motorcycle, Sean. I have a BMW car. Mm-hmm. These things are incredibly expensive to maintain, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> one thing goes wrong and it's like, Jesus Christ. And they make a specific thing for a specific BMW version of like every part of the car, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> um, and so, uh, but even when I wasn't driving that kind of a car, I definitely know what how maintenance costs add up. And from what I understand, and I'm not an expert here, but because there are so few, so many fewer moving parts in an electric vehicle, there's so many fewer things that can go wrong. And so I, I wonder, and I'm now just, I'm just speculating, but I wonder how those costs sort of level out. But even if they don't, first of all, the literal planet is at stake. Yeah. And second of all, we're really early. We're really early in this in this situation in this in this environment. So, um, I I like I say, our next car, Lindsay and I are agreed on this is going to be an electric vehicle, mm-hmm. most likely, most likely. I mean, that could change, but that's what we're that's how we're thinking about it. Um, so, um, these this is a plunge that I'm definitely prepared to take. And uh, you know, I I kind of feel the same way. Like when I went out and bought a BMW, I was like, I know I'm getting myself into an expensive maintenance test, yeah. right? But the the payoff, I I would the payoff was worth it to me. And now the payoff for the EV is is stunningly more than uh, in terms of in terms of the future and the climate than than uh, than my concerns about maintaining my car. So, well, and this is the thing, too, as you can think about this as the total cost of ownership over like five years. Right. And so if you own an right. EV for five years, the total cost of ownership is already below 
uh, what a gas car would be when you add up everything, including mm-hmm. maintenance. And then, you know, so get rid of it after five years and get another one. Like, you know, so let That's somebody exactly else right. deal with that. But if you just keep it for that five years, you're not dealing with the battery issues and you're, and you're going for an overall lower total cost of ownership. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's talk about, we, we, we talked already a little bit about charging availability and uh, charging speed situation is getting much better. Uh, there's briefly, there's 150,000 gas stations across the United States right now, and only 46,000 public charging stations. However, uh, help is on the way in the sense that uh, as part of the Build Back Better plan, uh, Joe Biden is, has released $7.5 billion to, to, to start installing more chargers. Uh, we think there's going to be another 100,000 total chargers coming online by the end of 2023 and 500,000 by, by 2030. So it's really, really going to be going to get a lot better very soon. Mm-hmm. Cost of charging. Okay. So if you're not familiar, People, uh, the, uh, uh, you don't, you don't take gallons, you take kilowatt hours and a kilowatt hour will drive an EV, an average EV three to four miles. And, you know, at wholesale electricity prices, that, that's, that would cost a nickel, but nobody pays that. Like even at your house, it's going to be mm. 10 to 15 cents a kilowatt hour, depending on, on your electric rates. A Tesla supercharger, because it's, it's a, it's a big piece of equipment and charges quickly. You're going to pay more like 25 cents a kilowatt hour. But if you think about that, you're, say you buy 80 kilowatt hours. Okay. That's going to take you 250 to 300 miles for 20 bucks. So that's like gas at $2 a gallon or less. So it's really (laughs) cheap. It's a good deal. Um, if you're not careful, and this is why you have to get your smartphone and you got to look at these charging networks, join the right charging networks, get your plans where you can get different rates and things like that. Because if you don't have that and you end up stuck somewhere, you might have to pay like a dollar a kilowatt hour. Now you're really getting gouged, you know, so mm. competition is going to work out all this stuff because nobody's going to go to a charger that's charging a buck a kilowatt hour. It's just not, you know, they're, they're going to go out of business. <laughs> but um, unfortunately, these are some of the kinds of fears that, People are having when they, you know, think, thinking about being out in a strand in the middle of nowhere and having to pay a dollar a kilowatt hour. It's not not fun. But I wanted to ask you, Joe, if you had any experiences like that at a public charging station. Oh, yeah, several. I mean, uh, we live in the rural areas, I said, far from many services. So we drive a lot and we have family that's for far away. We drive a lot. So do we have a, uh, the need to drive, take long trips quite a bit? And so it is an issue for us. And again, also there's the cold climate thing that we have to consider. Um, mm. So actually we're not an ideal buyers for EVs because of all that. And yet mm-hmm. it still works for us. And with a little planning, like you said, guys, you can make this work. You just have to do a little planning, have the right app, find the right places. Um, and at first we experienced a little bit of, of that range anxiety because we don't didn't know what to expect. It was new. Uh, we weren't aware of the winter issue uh, and so forth, but we figured it out. And uh, the truth is that it's really not that big of a deal. Um, as far as keeping the batteries charged to try to, you know, uh, maintain the, the life of the battery, I've been, I've been doing a little research on that and it's kind of a little confusing. Um, uh, you know, 90, 10 to 90% range sounds about right. Some people are saying that. But then you sometimes you see the 20 to 80 percent range. But if you actually go to the manufacturer like Nissan, they say, don't worry about it. Just charge your battery. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it's the same thing with GM. They don't they don't think it's a problem. And that's because I, I, they put in overcharging 
safety things mm-hmm. systems in there already. So the batteries don't actually literally charge to 100%, even yeah. though they say it's 100%. So that mm. is why I think it's not as much of an issue as people think there is with the newer technology, the newer cars in particular. So, um, but th- I do I do see that not relying on the fast chargers is conventional wisdom that those will decrease the life of your battery somewhat. I don't right. know how much. I haven't figured that out yet. Uh, but certainly things to consider. When you think about how how many times people go on a road trip, maybe it's like a couple times a year, right? I mean, for you, it's more because, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're, but, but for most people who are, who are urban commuters, you know, it's maybe, maybe a handful of trips every year that you would have to use a fast charger. Otherwise you just charge at home, you know? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, all right. Well, let's, let's talk about here about this sort of ethical and, uh, psychosocial component of EV ownership and the EV transition. And this is where we get into talking about the antisocial behavior of people who just hate EVs for the same reason they hate mm. masks and vaccinations. It's the big bad government controlling their lives. You know, they can pry <laughs> my diesel truck from my cold dead fingers. You know, <laughs> you know, those people. That's pretty good. <laughs> uh, it's curious that we never saw coal rolling or deliberately huge oversized exhaust pipes on people's trucks until about the year 2000 when hybrid cars mm-hmm. began to be sold. It's like they were, they, they, they immediately became self-conscious about this and decided to double down, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Go figure. It was like blue lives matter and all lives right. matter, right? Like you never heard any of the blank matters until black lives matter. I mean, they were re- purely reactionary. Totally, totally. I mean, this is, it's like the idea of coal rolling someone, uh, who's driving a clean car, right? Blowing thick black smoke toward them. It's exactly the same as coughing on someone during a pandemic. It's exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 But the other thing that they're doing, spiteful. they are blocking, uh, charging stations. They're parking their yeah. internal combustion engine cars in charging stations. This phenomenon is called icing, right? And so now what's happening is the EV charging stations are having to put in bollards that don't allow you to pull in until you swipe your card, right? So it's <laughs> unbelievable. You know, it's just. And these are the same people who will rock away, rock around yelling about freedom and free speech. But it's like, no, you, it, you don't really believe that or because you're trying to keep other people from doing that, expressing that exact same right. So it just, mm-hmm. you know, again, we know how, how much bad faith there is here and we get, and, and it, it's, it's exhausting to talk about it, but you're just like, Jesus Christ, the bad faith. Yeah. You know, it, and the it, spite. Well, and it really comes, it comes down to, to this guilt, right? Because, and I think that anyone, Mm. anyone who would say, okay, oh, if you're driving an EV, that's virtue signaling. Well, why would you say that? The only reason you'd say that is if you felt guilty, right? Because you have to find some way to put someone else down for doing the right thing. And so this was a, I found this article at theconversation.com and the headline was, um, why driving an electric vehicle might not be morally praiseworthy. And this guy, uh, the author is Matthew Scarfone. He's a postdoctoral fellow in philosophy at the University of Toronto. And hmm. so I, I just kind of want to like go through this logically. Let's consider the opposite of that headline, which would be why driving a gasoline vehicle might not be morally deficient. And that's what he's really saying, right? <laughs> right. That's right. That's right. And, and you see where this is going. It's the old capitalist kind of line summarized by Don Draper in Mad Men, where he says, the goal of advertising is to tell the consumer, whatever you want, whatever you're doing, it's okay. 
right? Yes. And yeah. to be fair, Scarphone is not really saying that. It's kind of a bait and switch because he does point out in the article that if a person wants to cause less harm, they can simply drive less. And that's true. It's absolutely true. True. But <clears throat> this goes back to what I said earlier about switching to public transport or biking or building more walkable cities. That's not really the problem electric vehicles are designed to solve. They are a right. drop-in replacement for gasoline vehicles. And so the only question is, if you switch from a gasoline vehicle to the same sized electric vehicle while driving the same number of miles, it's going to cut your carbon pollution 25 to 50%. And that is morally praiseworthy. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I, I mean, I, how do you, I, I just like, sometimes I feel like it's this stuff so obvious that you shouldn't even have to be said, but it does. But it really does have to be said. I mean, it's kind of like they don't look up. Uh, movie, right? Like if you do it with subtlety, people will just ignore it. And sometimes you yeah. really do have to be um, really uh, brazen about this sort of stuff. I think that really, really is important, you know, um, and the, the virtue signaling thing is just such people do this with race. People will do this like, oh, if a white person talks about supporting Black Lives Matter, mm -hmm. then all know your virtue signaling. It's like as if there's no way. And again, I think your point is a really, really good one, Sean, is that it reflects an internal guilt from that person that they have to pull you down mm -hmm. because they know deep down or maybe not even deep down, but on some level they realize that they should be doing better. Right. right? Um, and, and also the other thing is that, right. It's like there, this is part of a system like we've been talking about too. It's like EVs um, for me, uh, again, we don't drive a lot. Most of what we do, most of the way we get around is public transportation or biking or walking. That's sort of how we do it. I, I used to ride my bike to work every day. Um, but my, my point is that like any one of those things is not enough, right? Just the EV is not enough. But when you put it together into the system and, and we change the system more broadly, that's how we get to real meaningful change. Yeah. So pointing at the one change is like, that's not going to do anything completely right. ignores the fact that we can't certainly not in this environment, change everything all at once. Right. Yeah. So it's going to take time, but a step in the right direction, um, a step in the right direction is a step in the right direction. Yeah, it is. And, and so there is an urgency to the climate crisis, people mm -hmm. feeling a lot of pressure to get things done very fast. I am. I, totally. I, I, I certainly feel that. I mean, I, see, I look at the, at the data and the evidence and it's like, it just blows your mind how, how bad it is. And so you want to, you want to say, well, we, that's not fast enough. We got to go faster. We're going to do more. We, that's not good enough. Absolutely. But you're making common cause with those who don't want to do anything. Right, when you do that, right, because right. it's not realistic to change that fast. It just isn't. Right. We have to find that sweet spot between being very, very aggressive, but also being realistic about what we need to do with right. climate change. Uh, and that is not an easy proposition, but you should not make common cause with people who just want to say, fuck you. We're just going to drive right. on gas right. guzzlers and, and you suck. You know, right. there's no such thing as climate change. You don't right. want to make common cause with those people. And you're doing that if you're not careful. We right. see this thing where um, <clears throat> people say will say uh, that something won't work, but even if it did, it's not a good idea. And, and you see this in terms of like people saying um, climate change isn't happening and Electric vehicles won't help solve climate change. Well, which is it, yeah. man? I mean, <laughs> right. That's like uh, I saw a meme today say, recently saying that uh, Trump has, you know, mused that he would uh, he would pardon the January 6th um, 
rioters that were in prison if he became president again. But it said, but wait a second, I thought they were Antifa. Why would you, why would you, right. wait, why would you pardon Antifa? Right? And it's like, it's just, again, there's no, there's no consistency or anything there. It's just throw it all in. Throw it all what, in. You know? What are you punishing them for? Doing their civic duty? They're exactly. doing their civic duty, right? Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. Well, and this is, the, they just throw it all up against the wall to see what sticks. And this is the next exactly. topic here, which is the issue of safety. Okay. And the issue of, of battery fires. And this is something that, I mean, it's well known. Uh, uh, lithium batteries do catch on fire. They've caught on fire in the, in the cargo hold of planes. They've, they've, they've yes, started famously, fires in yeah. buildings. I mean, we know that this happens and it really gets played up in the news. Uh, we see, well, you know, you'll see someone's home in ruins and you'll find out that not only did the electric vehicle burn the person's house down, but that EV fires can take hours to put out and they can even reignite like a day or two later. And, that's actually all true because, um, this is the way this is, there's a lot of energy in a lithium ion battery. And if it shorts out, I mean, you know, you don't want to be anywhere near that thing, but statistically right. it's very unlikely. And it's, it's kind of like worrying about a plane crash when you're about a hundred times more likely to die in your car while you're on your way to the airport and battery fires like plane crashes are very dramatic, but fortunately very rare. And you, you find this out when you actually think about the fires in gasoline vehicles, which of which there's around 200,000 every year in the U S 200,000 vehicle fires. Yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> now. Yeah. It's, it's like worrying about dying from the vaccine versus the pandemic right. it is. and the vaccine itself. That's a great point. Great analogy. Yeah. And, and you know, people will think, Oh, well, there's a lot more gas fires because there's more gas cars on the road. And that's not really the case. If you, if you, Look at the stats. Gasoline car fires happen at the rate of 1,500 fires per 100,000 vehicles sold, which is mostly older vehicles. Um, electric car fires only occur in 25 vehicles per 100,000 vehicles sold. And those figures are from the insurance industry. So that means that an EV is 60 times less likely to catch on fire than a gasoline vehicle. Yet people are constantly bringing this up as a reason to avoid EV ownership. And Here's what's really weird. Ironically, hybrid cars are the most dangerous of all because they've got a gas tank and a battery. So <laughs> <laughs> I guess that kind of makes sense when you think about it. But, yeah. Pure EVs are super safe. Um, their bad reputation for fires is a total media exaggeration. Surprise, surprise. Um, <laughs> the next thing about this is accessibility of charging. Um, not everyone has a garage with a charger. So I consider myself really lucky. I'm sure you do too, Joe. Apartment dwellers are often prohibited from installing chargers in public parking garages because they have, frankly, they just haven't worked out the billing. Who's paying for the power, right? <clears throat> and right. It, it, this presents a really big barrier to wider EV adoption. Um, but when public EV chargers become as widespread as gas stations, then people can simply charge the station the same way they currently fill up with gas. So um, I was wondering, though, Joe, how your home charging experience is. I do charge at home at times, but also when we can, we charge at my wife's work because actually it's free. We don't have to pay for that electricity, right? It's part, oh, of, nice. it's part of, it's a perk of the job. So, <laughs> so that's really nice. kind of cool. Uh, and it's, and it's green. So if you do have the ability to, to charge at home, you want to use a 220 line, not, not one of those trickle chargers. That's 110 because it takes too long, but a, mm -hmm. a 220 line with 30 amps or 30 to 40 amps, I think it can range. And you know what? You you don't even have to use an electrician to, to set it up. It doesn't cost that much. You can actually buy now certified splitters that and you get an extension. You go to your dryer 
right, which is 220. Mm. And you put this splitter, you just plug mm. it right in, have two lines, one goes to the dryer, one goes to the car, and you're done. And it, I did that. I set that up no for 450 way. bucks and it took me like an hour to do it instead of, you know, spending a few thousand dollars for, for a, uh, you know, so it's easy to do if you have the opportunity. Of course, if you live in a city without ports, you know, that's a whole different, you know, ball of wax and you need to rely on public chargers or charging at work, you know, that some mm -hmm. people have that option or school universities. Mm -hmm. Um, I do know people in that situation and they still love their EVs, right? <laughs> and they make it work. Yeah, um, right. But many people are going to be deterred by that. So that's where the infrastructure issue comes in. We need more charging stations. We need them accessible at supermarkets, mm -hmm. you know, places where people go. Mm -hmm. And if we solve that issue, I think we bet we're going to have a much better uh, opportunity to really make this happen faster, you know, and we can finally get rid of those infernal combustion engines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. Infernal combustion. Well, I, I, you know, when I put in my charger, it wasn't even that much. I mean, the the, the charging unit itself is like I don't know, I think it's five or six hundred bucks. And then you know, just it's just you just add a breaker to your breaker panel, and then just run a you know you, you just run a piece of flex conduit you can pick up at Lowe's, right? And and you can literally mm -hmm. just just you know it doesn't it just takes a couple hours max to do this if yeah. you have any sort of basic working uh, knowledge of elect uh, of electricity well, in, in and some it, places you have to have an electrician do it it's the law you can't do it oh, really? like okay. in Massachusetts well, even, that's the case. Oh, is like, that right? even if you have somebody come in it's it, you know it might cost yeah. you like you know the, the might cost you an extra like 300 bucks or something and then it's done you know i, I think it's like 1200 1500 maybe as much as 2000 that's what i saw that's pricing something like to that. get to get everything installed for, for professional installment yeah yeah well you know it's like again um it's, it's all trade-offs. It's all yeah. trade-offs. And if you, if you want to sit there mm -hmm. at home and, you know, when the gas prices hit, you know, spike up to $5 a gallon, you're like, I don't care. I don't buy gas. Right. That's a good feeling. Right. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. like a, you don't need it. You can do it for $400. You can yourself legally. Yeah. You can't, it's possible. If anybody yeah. wants to know how, just look me up. I'll let you know. <laughs> well, speaking of cost, I want to switch gears to talk now about the economics and social justice aspect of EVs. And we know, as you mentioned at the beginning of the show, Christoph, pollution from gasoline cars has a really disproportionate impact on the poor. And there's a big mm -hmm. incentive for low-income people to want to clean up transportation. Smog and heat island effects are all much, much worse in poor urban areas due to greater density and traffic, uh, a heavier concentration of industry, more concrete, and a lack of trees. And, and this is a problem in almost every city across the U.S., and uh, I, I think we can all, can all agree that right now EVs are not really affordable for anyone who's not upper middle class. And it's something it's, it's this is a perspective. All three of us are upper middle class. And it's something that if we didn't really put ourselves in other people's shoes, we wouldn't think about because it's no big deal for, you know, for us to go out and drop, you know, 30, 40, $50,000 on a new car. Whereas for a lot of other people, it's they're just, they're just not going to, it's not going to happen. And so the prices are like, uh, the, on the low end for the leaf, it's twenty seven thousand. Um, Joe, do you, pay, you do, that's probably what you paid, right? I paid, I think thirty six because I got uh, the higher package. But then I got ten thousand. Well, I will be getting ten thousand dollars back from governments, seventy five hundred from federal, twenty five hundred nice. from Massachusetts. So the car ended up costing me twenty five thousand, twenty six thousand dollars or so. And so that's a deal. It, that is a normal price for a car, a new car, like a, a, a yeah. you know, nothing. Well, on, it is extravagant. 
But here's the thing. Your rebate is totally dependent on you having that much taxable income. The way the rebate is set up, if you don't mm-hmm. have, if you don't make uh, enough money to have, you know, $10,000 of taxable uh, uh, income, right. then you get, you get nothing. You know, or you get very little back. That's so, right. uh, it's something that is, it's, it's an issue. Uh, we know that, that prices on EVs go up to 140,000 and, 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 and even higher. And so it's something that like we need more action on the low end. Uh, EVs are new. There's not a whole lot of cheap deals to be had on the used market. Um, a lot of the progress in extending the range of EVs has come recently. So older models, uh, that are older than like five years are likely going to be shorter range, or they might have batteries that are right. at the end of their warranties. Just not a really good solution for someone who's trying to get a cheap car. And that's right. I mean, I, I, I've been, I have spent significant chunks of my life, like with, with very, very little money. And most of the cars I've owned are, have been used cars. And same here. Um, and, and very beaten up used cars for that matter. Um, but, but, the problem right about and this is a, a problem about being poor in general is that it's, it's expensive mm-hmm. to be yeah. poor right because everything you're using is, sec- is is second hand third hand fourth hand and it's starting to fall apart so you buy a car um an ev right that's 10 years old or seven years old um right uh you're bad now you're dealing with all the all mm-hmm. the bad things right all the all the problems right so that is an issue it's an issue but in that sense it is an issue now too Right. Um, and I think what we really need to be talking about is how we empower power, uh, lower income people to be able to be part of the real middle class. I think that's really what we should be. So that's really the, the like sort of the nub of the yeah, issue. Like, but well, anyway, no, no, that was that was really good, because the next thing I was going to talk about is that gasoline cars aren't cheap either. I mean, new car, new car no, prices in 2021 <laughs> are forty seven thousand dollars on average. And yeah. even used cars hit twenty seven thousand five hundred. The average used car. So, you know, right. and, and we're talking about if you're poor, you know, you're, you're going to spend maybe 500 or a thousand bucks on a car. You're not buying no $27,000 used car, you know, so, right, right. and, and th- that's mm-hmm. just not an option. You're, you got to get something to get you there, get you back. And, th- and you're going to, it's going to be something you're putting gas in. So, you know, it's, right. <laughs> um, but one ray of hope is going to be these car sharing or mobility plans going forward because, mm-hmm. you know, a, a low income person or a working person could definitely afford 200 bucks a month for a car sharing plan or, or whatever it is. And, and that's right. all in, like not, they're not buying insurance. They're not buying gas. You're not doing anything. You're just car, mm-hmm. pick you up, take you where you need to go, drop you off. And I think, um, I think there's going to be a lot more of that going forward because if you talk to young people, none of them want to get onto this car ownership uh, uh, train nah. of spending, you know, I, I, because it, it just adds up way more yeah. than what you think it is. It seems, it seems like oh, the American love affair spell is starting to break a little bit. Yeah, I think it is. And I think in a lot of ways, because of the young people, I'm thinking about Penn here, you know, uh, the, uh, occupancy, thinking about how they have been denied the American dream mm-hmm. in so many ways, right? Like whatever spell of like, oh my God, this is what it means to be American. They're like, yeah. fuck this, right? This is terrible. Why would I want that? You know? So like you say, um, even when it comes down to homeownership, right? But like these things are like, ah, do I really need that? 
you know, and the car thing is a big one. In Jersey City here, we have, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it's different than a public bus, but it's a free little van that is, that's anybody can, that anybody can be picked up in. It has a regular schedule and it drives around from places that the bus driver bus perhaps won't go, right? Like, right, little smaller, smaller places. So anyway, that kind of sharing, you know, provided on a public level, I think that is yeah. a future. I think sure. that's a very real future for folks who, who rather than spending a thousand dollars on a car and then spending four thousand dollars over the life of your uh, life of your ownership right. of that car, uh, trying to keep it alive right. until it dies. Right. Like that is the right. That's the experience of drive. That's the experience, you know. Well, and the, and the truth is there is no option. It's not like people have an option not to do this. Right, They'll have right, to do it. Right. Because, I mean, I know a lot of 20-something people. Like, I know a lot of them from family to work and social and everything. They're all struggling. And they, a lot yep. of them come from, like, comfortable middle-class families. Yep. And yet they're still, mm-hmm. still struggling. Still. <laughs> it, it, there's There's been this devolution. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's really quite startling how much uh the how much wealth loss there is between mm. generations yes. well stolen very much so really yeah. mm-hmm. well transfer because wealth stolen. is never actually yeah. lost right it gets just it's just distribution that's the question and the distribution has just i mean just stunningly changed in the last 70 years right i mean just astonishing how it's no changed. it has and it's put a lot of yeah. things that used to be considered and, as a as a as a birthright of the american dream just out of reach for people yes, and so yes. this idea of going in exactly buying, yeah. you know exactly. like you get your first job and you get to go buy a brand new car no not having for most people anymore <laughs> right yeah right like yeah right all not that money's close. going to loans man no, all that money's going to loans that's where yeah. that money's going yeah, I mean, Pam was talking about today about like we have to start calling billionaires the uh, was it the parasite yeah. class, Robert Barons? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, that's where it's all going, right up there. That's exactly where it's going. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I mean, we we still generate as much wealth as ever, if not more. Right, but it's more just, than ever, I yeah, think. But man, it's divided up pretty fuckily. Is that a word? <laughs> <laughs> Completely <laughs> fucked. How's that? <laughs> we'll take it. Um, well, so yeah. looking at though, what the options are for people, you know, you can, you can do the, you could do the high end thing where you buy your own brand new car, whether it's EV or, or gasoline. Uh, you can do the, uh, you know, the, the, the Uber thing or the car sharing plan where you don't own a car, but you just pay to go wherever you want to go. Or you can do the, you know, low end car, $500 car route that you just barely keep it going. Um, you know, Mm-hmm. And, and so these are, these are, these are choices that people are making. But I think, I think increasingly, you know, if someone knows that they can, for a nominal monthly fee, like a cell phone plan, get wherever they want to go without ever having to deal with car ownership, I think that's going to be huge. I yeah. do it. I think so too. I think so too. It's all a question of so how too. soon, you know, Elon Musk or whoever else can make these, uh, robo taxis work. <clears throat> right. And of right. course, you know, eventually they're not even going to look like cars. They could it'll probably look like little offices. You can go there, you can yeah, have the your pod coffee, pod. work, and they'll just, yeah, you know. A little pod. Yeah, the Johnny Cat goes around. <laughs> right. Yeah, totally. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. Well, so for, for the people who still really want to own a car, EVs now have a real opportunity to compete with gasoline cars on price because battery prices have been mm-hmm. dropping steadily over the last decade. And just to illustrate this, in 2013, one kilowatt hour of battery storage cost almost $700. And that same kilowatt hour wow. only cost 132 in 2021. That's more than a five-fold drop. And battery cost is the limiting factor on extending the, the future range of EVs that we've talked about. 
according to Wright's law, which is another thing, it's kind of like Moore's law for batteries, which it's, it, it covers the learning curve effect in terms of, of manufacturing and economies of scale. The lithium ion battery cell costs fall by 28% for every cumulative doubling of units produced. And so that's held true pretty wow. much from the beginning of when uh, lithium ion cells started to be made. So, and, and if you look at these, the, the graph that I've got here, I mean, it's really, really gone down and, and we're going to see that I think drop further once, you know, once we get into the next paradigm of, of batteries. But so the other thing that's really exciting is that EVs are much, much simpler than gasoline vehicles. You know, uh, um, yes. there's hundreds of moving parts in, in, <laughs> in an internal combustion engine, uh, and, and, and the drivetrain hundreds. And, and the simplest EVs are the ones that have a motor in each wheel, not even a transmission. And the Rivian truck is yeah. like that, by the way. And, and the cyber truck may be like that, but, but there's no, um, there's no gearbox. There's no transmission. It's just, it's all electronic and the, you know, the, the power is controlled to each wheel. And that allows you to do things like a tank turn, you know, things like that. Right. So that's very cool. But the, the, there's two things we have to compare when we're talking about, about the pricing of these vehicles. And one is, purchasing price parity, right? Can you get a similar model similarly appointed for the same price? And we're not there yet, but we, where we are there is in the five-year cost of ownership where EVs are already cheaper. And there's an article in Money Magazine in August of 2021 that shows a savings of nearly $1,000 per year already on total cost of ownership. And that advantage is only going to increase mm. as the purchase price of EVs continues to come down. So, um, Sure. But we still have to think about the poor and the working class and EVs like most higher end gasoline cars are still going to be out of reach to lower income people for some years based on, on just low wages and in not you know lack of access to financing. But we see though that EVs are on the classic technology adoption S curve like computers and cell phones and other expensive tech that targets early adopters with high prices first. And then with the beginning of mass market penetration, economies of scale come into play and more choices and models are offered. More people can afford to buy and rapid progress in the EV segment could also at some point trigger the Osborne effect where new EVs are getting so much better so quickly that people are going to delay their purchase to get next year's model. And I'm almost there right now where mm. I'd like to buy a new vehicle soon, but I'm waiting for the 2023 or 2024 releases from Tesla, GM, Ford, Rivian and Kia, because I want a 400 mile range for 50,000 or less and maybe a truck, maybe not, but right. what I want is not on sale yet. <laughs> I kind of feel similarly incidentally. Mm -hmm. Well, the other thing I want to say in terms of the social justice thing is that, mm -hmm. so people of color tend to live in cities, not exclusively of course, but they high percentage wise, poor people certainly live in cities. Sure. Uh, and so we need to really leverage the public transportation side of this as well. Electrify, electrify the public transportation. We can't just go with, you know, we, the, again, we have to look at this as a multi-problem, multi-solution issue, and yes. we don't fight between the solutions. We have to go, yes, 100% towards better public transportation and also 100% towards electric cars. It's not an either or proposition. Yeah. Great point. And because we, we, people, we talk about this a lot, people are unable to, to, to think in, in, in systems, right? People right. think in, uh, about the stock, right? They think about, right. They think about 
the, the components of the system because that's what you see every day. Um, and then it's really easy to get tunnel vision on that. Um, but for the system to work, you got to fix all of those points and attack all of those points, Joe. And I think that's super important, especially like you say, for, uh, for poor folks, um, uh, and the unhoused, right? Public transportation is absolutely, absolutely critical. If for no other reason, then, you know, it can be complicated to have a, to have, uh, a, um, you know, a credit card and a yeah. phone and a phone uh, and a plan that's kind of like a full plan. Like maybe people can't do that, right? Mm-hmm. But you can always just get on the bus, right? You can, right? You just pay right there with with two dollars and you're on the bus. And if you can do that, and, and if you can do that, um, broaden that and make it cleaner, so you're not literally getting on a bus or yeah. an electric bus, right? That's how you so you start to solve these problems for for people on the lower end of the income income scale. I see a couple of options too. I see that, um, you know, like you said, an electric bus buses that's that's easy to electrify the buses. We already have the technology oh, to do it. Such an easy yeah. one. And so yeah. you just you just yeah. get that going. And then the other possibility is is that say there are you know fleets of robo taxis going around cities. It would be that hard to give to issue credits to uh, the unhoused that's right. you, 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 that's right. you issue them these fair cards yeah. just like you issue fair cards on any public transport and they can they can get into a you know a robo taxi so that's right and you can integrate them to the public transportation system you take a uh, you know a, a, a taxi to a terminal and then take the terminal from there or whatever it means there's all kinds of ways of Robo taxis are really good for last mile, right? Because you're, you're, you know, you can't yes. have stations everywhere. You got to have that right. last mile transport of where people are going. Right. And, and yeah. I think that's super important. I, uh, what's her face? Um, I can't remember her name now. Uh, your friend who came on just, uh, Justine. Yes. She was talking, oh, yeah. talking a lot about that last mile, that, that element is right. a bit, it, that's a problem, right? That's a problem that has that, that, pub, that for public transportation and the robo taxi system is just a great solution to that. It's a great point, Sean. Yeah. Well, that brings me to summarizing progress in the electric vehicle market has been fierce in the last five years, and it's about to get even fiercer. We're reaching a real tipping point. As recently as 2010, there were virtually zero electric vehicles sold in the U.S. In 2021, that figure was nearly 4% of all total vehicle sales. So mass adoption in any market begins when the product represents 16% or more of total sales. And in California, Mm. that's going to happen with EVs this year in 2022 with a projected market share of 17.5% of all new vehicle sales in California. So that's just, that's stunning to me. That's already happened. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. Mass adoption of EVs across the U.S. is projected to come later in 2028. And what we do know is that there are countries where EVs have already completely taken over the market. And one example is hmm. Norway. Norway set a goal about uh, about five or 10 years ago that they wanted to have 100% EV penetration by 2025. And it's on track to meet that goal early. Right now, 92% of all cars sold in Norway in 2021 are hybrid or electric, with 64% being fully electric. And that's really exciting. That is astonishing is what that is. Wow. How do they do wow. it? Well, they slapped a 25% tax on new <laughs> gasoline vehicles to reflect their climate impact. And awesome. they were able to yeah. do this because they don't have a bunch of Republican assholes in their government. <laughs> Talk about like externalities, right? Make people absorb the full cost of their activity and that will change behavior or it won't. Right. right. And if people really want to drive a gasoline car that much, then they'll pay 25% <laughs> more for gas. Hey, as it turned out, they decided they'd rather save the money. And now they're, now they're done. <laughs> they're basically close to done with their, their energy transition with vehicles. And this is 
getting really interesting because there's another deadline coming down the pike, and that is the EU ban on sales of new gasoline vehicles, which is scheduled to come into effect in 2035. Uh, California is also going to ban sales of new gasoline vehicles that <laughs> same year. So going back to the, what I started with, which was the big EV lie, is actually kind of a half-truth because eventually, 13 years from now, the government may force you to buy an electric car. But that's not a concern in the near term. And 13 years is a long time for, for electric vehicles to get a lot better. Yeah, <laughs> totally. So it's... Yeah. Absolutely. In spite of all the fear, uncertainty, and doubt being cast on this goal by the recalcitrant oil industry, I think that we are going to get there. And I don't think the battle is nearly over. And we can be sure that there's going to be many acts of political sabotage on their way. Mm -hmm. And because we know that uh, when a hugely powerful legacy industry like oil is facing extinction, it will become the most ferocious. And it already is. Mm -hmm. Um I was going to say, I think there's a strong argument that they've seen the writing on the wall for a long time. And this is why our politics has wound up in the last sort of 20, 30 years in that, like, it's so intensely. I think that the Obama coming on the scene mm -hmm. was like, that was such a poke in the eye of all of that legacy stuff, legacy white supremacy, legacy, um, uh, legacy fuel industry, legacy industries, industries in general. The high, entire idea of change was so deeply, deeply uh, threatened right. to that entire system. Yeah. Um, and and they're squealing like pigs, man, squealing like pigs. <laughs> well, and who are the nations who ha who have are going to have the biggest problem with this? Russia and Saudi Arabia, right? They are the ones who are who are really in the crosshairs of this. And guess what? They are the ones who interfered in our election in 2016. There you go. Yeah. So Good point. Uh, the question we're going to face is who's more powerful, powerful in world geopolitics, the fossil industry or the auto and tech industries, which are now in the process mm. of merging. And uh, I want to give a shout out to my old friend, Lou Grinzo. He and I have been going back and forth about energy issues uh, since about the year 2000. And he, he has got this famous quote that I just can't get out of my mind because it's so brilliant. And <laughs> he says, quote, the future may be a lot of things, but dull is not on the list. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Uh, yeah. That's all I've got for today. Well, Any final I'm thoughts, guys? Well, I, 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 Thank you, Sean, for putting this all together. It's been from a, like I say, from a guy who is not super well versed in this stuff, right? I, I we can only, um, uh, it's really interesting and enlightening, um, and the conversation's been good. I, I am definitely looking forward to that green revolution. It may not happen all at once, as we've been talking about, right? But, um, but the 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 financial. The social, the economic, all of the elements here are are so exciting of what that future could be. So um, I'm looking forward to uh, getting into my uh, F-150 Lightning or whatever. Yeah, uh, man, I'm right there with you. Out. We'll go out there with our bikes and a trailer and the you know, exactly. whole thing. <laughs> Joe, anything, exactly. anything, any other thoughts? Well, I want to say I do have some sympathy for people who believe that we're not, this isn't happening fast enough. And then we should be more aggressive and we should do much more than even just thinking about electric. I have sympathy for that. But what I want to say to those folks is that there will be a time when the waste glacier melt, it breaks open, <laughs> when there's a blue, blue ocean event in, in the Arctic, when, you know, the refugees and the food crises begin. There's going to be a time we're going to be very graceful for this development because it will mean that at that point, when we're ready to be more aggressive, we can be. 
This is, the, the, you know, the technology that's developing now. We have to encourage that. We have to encourage, even if it's not perfect solutions, electric cars are not perfect solutions. They're just better solutions. And that's what we need. Right. And eventually, yeah, we're going to get more aggressive. It's going to come because climate change is accelerating. No, no doubt about that. Okay. So, yeah. don't, you know, don't diss this. Don't diss this. It's, it's not worth dissing. Well said, Joe, and uh, thank you for being here. Thank you, Christoph. I'm uh, happy that we are, you know, that we are able, still able to put together a, a, a show uh, even every two weeks, and I always look forward to it. And so, and I'm, it's, it's, want to thank our listeners as well. Remember, if you like our show, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, check out our Patreon, and tell your friends to listen. New episodes post Mondays at noon Eastern on YouTube and all the major podcast channels. We also publish new articles weekly in our journal at theradicalsecular.com. I'm Sean Prophet. Thank you for being here. And remember, wherever you are, you can be radically secular. The Radical Secular Podcast is written and produced by Christoph Defoe, Sean Prophet, and Joe Okipinti. Logo and main title designed by Tim Stetner. Post-production and original theme music by Sean Prophet. Special thanks to our support team, Lindsay Brightman, Jillian Sky Jacobs, and Lori Field Okapinti. Okay,